So how's everyone doing this morning? Hey, let's try that again. How are you doing this morning? That's better. I, um, I've had a, a busy weekend, was away performing a wedding of a dear friend of mine, and um, it's good to be back at, in Charlottesville. And um, this morning, as we move into the teaching time, the preaching time, I am well aware that what I'm going to talk about this morning is going to be something that a lot of you have wrestled with and you've struggled with. We're in this teaching series that is entitled Real Devotion. Real Devotion is one of the three pillars that City Church is based upon. Where the three pillars are real devotion, real relationship, and real generosity. And so as we've been moving through a several-week series on real devotion... We've hit some real kind of tough things. We've talked about real devotion begins with understanding that I need a savior. I can't save myself and Christ fulfills that reality for me. We've talked about things like when it comes to real devotion that what God wants is my heart. The Bible teaches us that God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart and so real devotion is always an issue of the heart. Last week, what we took a look at was the idea of our physical bodies when it comes to real devotion. The idea that God calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing and acceptable in His sight. With all of those things in mind, when it comes, though, to real devotion, I know that one of the difficulties of faith, because I've experienced it myself, is the idea of real devotion during times when life gets really, really tough. Real devotion during times when life gets real tough. At the outset of this teaching, I want to share this with you because I think it's important. What I'm going to talk about this morning is not some ivory tower, biblical theology, or Bible study that I've derived in a vacuum. What I want to talk to us about this morning is something that I have had to live through personally. Because I'm the, I serve as the lead pastor at City Church, I have walked through extremely difficult times with some of you that are sitting in this auditorium. I can tell you personally in the life of my own family, we've had horrific tragedy hit over the past several years. Tragedy that no one would ever dream of signing up for. The same is with many of you. And what I want to talk about this morning is the idea of real devotion during seasons of life, and if you haven't hit one yet, I'm not saying this to be negative, I'm just saying this because this is how life is. At some point in your life, as a Christ follower, as a follower of Jesus, you will hit something that is going to make life go extremely difficult. And I believe that it's in those times where real devotion actually is formed in its most intense way and its most purest way. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to process through real devotion with the understanding that life gets really tough. What does real devotion look like? 
I'm going to ask that we would turn together to John chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read a lot more scripture than we normally do, and some of you may have never read the Bible before. And if you haven't, that's fine. For those of us maybe who have, this is going to be a very familiar story. But I want to encourage you, don't check out just because it's a familiar story. We're going to look at the story of the death of Lazarus through the lens of real devotion during difficult, if not what we would think, impossible times. The Bible uploads for us this incredible story in John 11. Here's what the Bible says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Martha, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. What I think is critical as we move through this whole talk this morning, this sort of biblical expose on real devotion during difficult times is this. There's never a single doubt in anyone's mind in this story that Christ doesn't love Lazarus. It's never questioned. As a matter of fact, as we move through this story, you're going to discover that people will verbalize that in the middle of this story. Oh, how he loved him. That's going to be a key point for us as we move through this biblical teaching. It says, Lord, the one you love is sick. Reading on. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Reading on. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Notice how many times the gospel writer is stressing the fact that Jesus loved them. They know it, and he knows it. He loves them. Let's pick up our reading. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. That's where Mary and Martha were. Now, if you were to read the next paragraph, here's what you'd discover. When Jesus says, we're going to go hang out with Mary and Martha, his disciples go, I don't think that's a good idea. Because Jesus, the last time you were there, people tried to kill you. And so if you're a follower and your leader says, we're going to go back where someone just tried to kill us, you might offer the following opinion. I would rather not go there. You know, let's go to a big, happy family reunion on the shore of Galilee. Let's not go where the last time we were there, people were scheming to kill us. Jesus says, well, we're going anyway. So we pick it up again in verse 14, and it says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. 
Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. How do you like that positive attitude? Hey, man, let's go. He's going to get killed. He's going to go where we're telling him not to go, but hey, why not? Let's go too and die with him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. What's the point? Mary stays home. Martha comes out to meet him. Picking up our story, verse 21. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who, ha- who is to come into the world. So what ends up happening now is Martha runs back to get her sister Mary and says, look, you got to come talk to him. And so Mary agrees, and she goes to meet with Jesus. In verse 32, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, she said the exact same thing her sister said. It's a direct quote. Here's what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In other words, that love that he has for Mary and Martha is just compelling him. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Listen, throughout this story, the gospel writer wants you to know that Jesus loved Lazarus and Lazarus loved him. Again, that's going to be key. Reading on verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Reading on, Jesus once more deeply moved. In other words, that love has become highly emotional. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. They took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I, know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said that for the benefit of those people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Real devotion in the midst of difficult times. What we're going to do is we're going to process through this incredible story more in the style of a devotional. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out some of the highlights of this story and I'm going to relay them to us and kind of give us a point to think about in the context of real devotion in the midst of terrible times. Now here's a little bit of cultural context. A lot of biblical cultural scholars tell us this. That because Lazarus was dead, Mary and Martha stood to lose everything. Because in the culture of Jesus' day, men were the ones that owned property. During Christ's day, especially among Jewish people, a woman, when she got to a certain age, she would leave the authority of her father, and the father would hand her over to the authority of her husband. If the father had died, the brother would become the authority over the woman. In this context, socially and culturally, women always had a man that had authority over them. And now that Lazarus is dead, these two women have been left in a vulnerable state to the point where it's hard to articulate their vulnerability. Do you understand that? So this story goes even further than just their grieving for their brother. What is clear in the cultural context is these women are in big trouble. Big trouble. And so as we move into our story, here's what we find. We find that in verse 3, it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I want to push the pause button here. One of the basic realities of faith is to believe God loves you. That God loves you. There are many times that some of us feel as though, yep, God's love is for everyone but me. For some weird reason, I'm the exception to the love of God. I want to put this to you bluntly. The love of God for you is something that is clearly stated. Will you open your heart and believe it and receive it? God loves you. And the scripture tells us this, that God so loved the world that he sent his only one and begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God's love took action through Christ. To say that you believe in Christ, but you don't believe God loves you, means you're missing the point. The point of God sending Christ is to prove to you and to me that he loves us. That God desperately, desperately loves us. But here's the reality. In the midst of really tough times, 
in the midst of really hard times and difficult times. There's a way in which we can begin to view God as though He doesn't love us. That for some reason, there's been a sabbatical for God's love for me. That He loved me up into this point, now I'm in the midst of this difficult season, and I just don't think God loves me anymore. And what prompts that is a difficult experience or something coming into our lives that kind of shakes us to the core. Isn't it fascinating that when Lazarus gets sick, they call out to Jesus, and as they call out to Jesus, they say this, we know that you love Lazarus. We know that you love him. There's no doubt whatsoever that Christ loves Lazarus. None. But here's what the Bible says in verse 4. When he heard this, in other words, Lazarus, the one you love is sick, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Oftentimes, when we are in difficult, trying situations, we come to God and we ask God to remove it from us. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? You've said, oh, good Lord, I see what's coming. We begin to ask God to remove us from it or to remove it from us. But there's a definitive biblical principle that we can see here, and it's this. God is often more glorified not by removing it, but by my going through it. If you're like me, I don't like that. I don't. When I see tough stuff coming, I like to say, God, either remove it from me or remove me from it. But here is a classic case where the Bible tells us that Jesus announces that the Son of God will be glorified how? Through it. Through it. Please hear me. If you're in the midst of a difficult season, when it comes to real devotion, it does not mean God does not love you. What it may mean is that you're going to go through a season in your life where God might not remove it from you, but you will discover a relationship with God that will be specifically attached to this experience. Now, as we read on, it gets even worse or better, depending on your perspective. You see, in verse 6, here's what John's gospel tells us. Verse 6 says, so when he, meaning Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wow. How's that love? I thought love would be when Mary and Martha shout out to Jesus, Jesus, the one that you love is sick, that man, he'd hike up his robe and take off running. Doesn't happen. 
As a matter of fact, it says Jesus stayed where he was. How long? Two more days. Are you kidding me? Listen, recently in my family, a member of my family wasn't feeling well. We ended up having to go see a physician. It was kind of an emergency visit. And you know what that family member was saying? Give me the painkiller. And the doctor said, but we can't do that right away. We have to ask you some questions. And this family member was going, it hurts. What else do you need to know? Inject me. And then give me more and more and more of that stuff. Just keep injecting me. But here's what you find. Jesus loves Lazarus. He says we're going to go through it because that's going to glorify God and it's going to glorify me. And when he hears Lazarus is sick, he stays two more days. Two more days. I promise you Mary and Martha, because of the love of Christ for Lazarus, knew beyond the shadow of a doubt he would take off running. But he didn't. Two more days. Here's what I've found during difficult times. When it comes to real devotion through difficult times, there are times where God will call me to go through it because of the glory that he wants to bring through it. And then we come upon this. God's timing is where I struggle the most. You ever experienced that? It's God's timing. And what Christ is teaching us in this episode is here is Lazarus. He is sick unto death. That's what one of the versions says. It says, Mary and Martha say, the one you love is sick unto death. Listen, he's not just sneezing and having a little drippy nose. He is sick unto death. And yet, what do we find in the scriptures? We find that Christ does not take off running, but instead he waits two days before he goes to Lazarus. Dear people, during difficult seasons, what we struggle with the most is God's timing. I want it now. God says... We're going to go through this. But I want deliverance now. I have to be honest with you. If I were Lazarus and I had read this gospel later, I would find Jesus and headbutt him with the love of God. (laughs) Because no one would sign up for this. No one. Lazarus Most of all, probably never expected this. Jesus loved him. And if God loves me and Jesus loves me, then he's going to deliver me from every tough time. Not true. Doesn't happen. But, as we're going to discover, what God desires to do is go through it with us. Now let's go on a little bit further into the story. Verse 21. In verse 21, what we discover is Martha and Mary are saying the same thing. Here's what she says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother, what does she say? Would not have died. 
If God were real, this wouldn't have happened. If God were really real, and if he really loved me, this would not happen. And yet what we discover is Mary and Martha articulate those exact same things. And here's what I want you to know. Listen carefully. When we think Jesus is not at work in the situation, he is. He is. God's working. God's working in the midst of the situations where you might not be able to see him because where Mary and Martha were huddled next to Lazarus, they watched him die. He was buried in a tomb. He's already been there for four days. And when Jesus shows up, what do they say? If you were here, God, Christ, if you were here, if your love was really real for Lazarus, this would not have happened. Would have never happened. So here's what we think. We think, because we can't see it, Jesus isn't at work, but he is. He is. And then we go into one of the key points of real devotion during difficult, struggling times. And verses 25 and verses 27 help us to understand this. Here's what we find. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though he die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die, do you believe this? And she says, oh, yes, I do. I believe that you're the son of God who came into this world. And I want you to notice she believed that before her brother was brought back to life. She believed it before the miracle happened. But here's what I would like to say about this. During tough times, please understand the following. This world is not all there is. Eternity with Christ is real. This world is not all that there is. Eternity with Christ is real. Jesus is saying to Mary and to Martha. What he's trying to teach them is this, is I recognize that your brother is dead, but please understand there is resurrection life and your brother will rise from the dead and he will live eternally with God. And here's what I'm trying to teach us is this, is if you begin to live as though this world is all that there is, you will live a defeated Christian life. There is a world yet to come. There's an eternity yet to come. And this world is not all there is. And so if you feel that in this world you're struggling more than the average bear, most of us feel that from one time or another. You ever had an opportunity maybe to where you've met the perfect Christian? Then you go out to eat a cheeseburger with them because that's what Jesus would do. He would go out and eat cheeseburgers with people. You go out to eat a cheeseburger with them and as you sit there, you're talking to this perfect Christian. All of a sudden, they begin to relay their story and it starts to get depressing because you thought they were blessed 
all the time. You thought that when they woke up every day, they woke up with the glory of the Lord shining in their bedroom. That every night when they put their head to rest, there were footprints of angels around them on their bed. And all of a sudden, you begin to discover that that's not how it is for anyone, for no one, your pastor included. But here's what I will tell you, and Jesus is trying to teach this so specifically to Lazarus' sister, and it's this. This world is not all that there is, but eternity with Christ is real. It's absolutely real. And then the next verse we need to look at, verse 35, Jesus wept. Do you know why I have this verse up here? It's the easiest memory verse in all of the New Testament. Let's move on. Verse number 39, Jesus says this, take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I love what the King James Version says. Lord, he stinketh. I love that. Lord, he stinketh. What a great word, stinketh. You know what she's saying to Jesus? Listen carefully. She's saying, Jesus... This stinks, and it, has, and it is too far gone. That's what she's saying. Jesus, this stinks, and it is too far gone even for you. But I want you to notice what Christ does. Christ does something in the midst of this that is absolutely incredible. He makes them go through it. He makes Lazarus go through it. Do you realize there are times in the Gospels where people would come running up to Jesus and say, my kid is sick, and Jesus would say, by the time you get home, they're going to be healed. Other people come to Jesus and say, my child is ill, and when they get back home, they calculate the time, and they realize the moment they met with Jesus, their child was healed. Christ didn't have to be there to heal Lazarus. But Christ, in his wisdom, allowed them to go through it instead of delivering them from it. And if you're a thinking person, you're going to sit there and go, time out, Pete, wait a minute. But he still raised him, and he brought him back to life. Ha, gotcha. I have a question for you. Where's Lazarus right now? Let me help you. He dead. He's dead. So at some point in time, if he died before Mary and Martha, they grieved again. And most likely, Lazarus was killed for his faith. Because after he was raised from the dead, the leaders that were trying to kill Jesus said, oh great, now we don't just have to kill Jesus, now we have to kill who? Lazarus as well. Because everywhere he goes, he's a walking miracle about what God does and can do in the midst of horrific times. So chances are, Lazarus was killed with his faith or because 
of his faith. But here's what I've learned in my life, and I'm telling you again, I'm not bringing you this devotion in some type of a vacuum. I realize some of us sitting here have gone through horrific times. But here's what I've learned. There are some deep things of God that we can only learn through tough times. There are some deep things of God that we can only learn through tough times. It's the only school for them. And you would say, I'll do without those things. How about that? I'm going to live a life of faith without those things. Here's what I want to tell you. You will never know the goodness of God intimately until you go through a difficult, difficult time and you find that God somehow, some way, breaks into your darkness. And when he does, there's a relational component that you experience that you can experience no other way. No other way. I want to tell you as your pastor, I have stood by gravesides where parents buried children. I have stood by gravesides where spouses buried another spouse because of a tragedy that was unthinkable. I have sat with parents when children went off the moral rails and became involved with stuff that no one in their right mind would choose to be a part of. I have sat there with people as they received news that no one would ever want to receive. I've sat with people at City Church that one year they received an award for working so well. And then within six or eight months were fired and let go for apparently no reason at all. I've watched families struggle economically. And what I want to tell you is, as your pastor, is that I am not bringing this teaching in the midst of a vacuum. I'm bringing it to you real time in real life. And here's what I will tell you, because me and my family have experienced this through tragedy ourselves. There are some deep things of God that we can only learn through tough times. Here's what the Apostle Paul would say. He would say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You would say, why, Paul, did you stop at three? You're sitting here going, I've prayed 50,000 times that God would take something away from me. But Paul prayed three times. Paul was so used to miracles. When he prayed, God moved. But in this context, it says he prayed three times. By the way, three is sort of that number of completeness or wholeness. So he pleaded three times that God would take this away from him. Verse 9, but he, meaning God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's what I know. I know that by God's grace, he brings some of us into things because we are so self-sufficient and we believe that we've got it all together. But man, is it the grace of God when God comes in and he pushes us beyond that. And here's what I'd like to say to all of us. The wonder of God's grace and power are most richly experienced not just in my success and victories, but also when life forces me beyond my own abilities and control. Man, if you were to ask Mary and Martha if they feel like they'd lost control, they would have said, absolutely. Can I be gentle and kind to some of us here? You're a control freak. You're a control freak. Nothing wrong with that until it comes to faith. And God, by his grace, will put you and I out of love in situations where it goes beyond my control. And when that happens, I begin to say with Paul, I boast in my weaknesses because here's what Paul had learned, that God's grace is sufficient for me and my power is made perfect in weakness. Christ's power is made perfect when I'm weak. Normally when I'm teaching, I would have concluded with a story. You didn't know that, but I'm telling you a little thing about how I teach. So instead of telling you a story, I'm going to ask a good friend of mine, Steve Garland, to come join me up on stage. So Steve, if you'll come on up at this time. He made that easy, didn't he? Some of Steve's wrestlers have... <laughs> All right, Steve, come sit down before it gets weirder. <laughs> Hold that. Most of you know by now that I'm a huge fan of wrestling. In my bucket list has been to go to the NCAA National Tournament. I've wanted to go my entire life ever since I wrestled in first grade. And so... This year, I'm going to be going to the National Wrestling Tournament, and I just literally can't wait. I mean, it's literally a bucket list thing for me. Not that I was ever good enough to go, but I still have an interest in that. Steve and I have become friends ever since he accepted Christ through City Church. And um, as I was thinking about putting this teaching together, Steve came to mind about someone who's experiencing God's grace in the midst of a difficult, difficult season in his life. So Steve's one of the only ones that I would say is smart enough, but maybe dumb enough to come up here and share their story publicly at City Church. So Steve, would you kind of share what you're going through and how this teaching relates to you? Well, sure. Uh, I won't get into all the gory details, but when Pete, when you called me about this uh, a few days ago, I just couldn't believe the, the timing of it all because uh, literally two days before Pete had called, you can see the date in my, in my prayer journal here, I had sort of... Uh, laid out a bunch of things that God had put on my heart recently in, in, in and through the pit that we're in as a program right now. And uh, 
it's just amazing how much it lined up with this teaching. And so in short, um, in the world of coaching, things can change pretty quickly. It's amazing how things work. Uh, By the way, Steve is the head wrestling coach at the University of Virginia. So, Yes, let's give him a hand. So about, you know, a short time ago, uh, I was coach of the decade, and we had just won an ACC championship, which around here means a whole lot to a lot of people, which is kind of funny. It's kind of a trip because it actually means nothing really in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, <laughs> but and, and, and man, we thought we had it figured out. We had the fifth-ranked recruiting class in the country coming in, and, and we were just riding high. And, and, and days later, um, uh, one of the best guys in the nation, one of the best guys on our team, he's ranked third in the country, he walked in and told me that he was leaving our program. Uh, he had been recruited out from behind my back, for lack of a better way to say it, and and it, I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. Uh, I felt hurt for our team, and and it was a it was a it was it was a deep deep pain. It was a deep. I, Pete, I think you were the first, one of the first guys I called afterwards. It was something that I had never experienced before. A guy that I felt like I had poured a lot into, um, and 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 you know the trial sort of started there, and it and it, it evolved into. Uh, a point where right now, if I'm being honest, and it's hard to say this out loud, right, especially with all my guys down in the front row, but it's probably one of the, one of the harder professional things I've ever gone through in my life. And, and, and here's why. You guys probably can relate to this. You feel like you're doing everything right. You feel like, you know, you're battling, you're coming to work every day, you're punching your time card, you're doing the extra stuff. You're, you guys know what I'm talking about when you're not getting the result you want and you feel like you're doing everything right. And, you know, I'm in the Word, I'm, I'm, I'm fellowshipping, I'm worshiping, I'm doing everything I can do, and we're losing and then we're losing again, and then we're losing again. And I feel like not only am I the same coach that won the ACC championship, helped win the ACC championship, I think I'm a better coach. I actually think I'm working smarter. I think I'm working harder, and the results aren't coming. And so that, that sort of was, was very, filled me with fear and was almost ter terrifying. And uh, you guys, like you said, the first thing I did, exactly what you referenced, is I got down on my knees and I was in fervent prayer for weeks. But here's how selfish and me-centered my prayers were. This is how it went. The first half of the prayer time went like this. God, just make it. We just need to win. That's what we need. You know what I mean? If we beat Virginia Tech, it's all going to be awesome. That's Amen what we need. to that, though, right? Yeah. yeah, hallelujah. I was convinced that if we just beat them, then it's all good. And, and you know, God showed me quickly that the 36 to 7 beating we took, that uh, you guys that, didn't beat Virginia that, Tech. No, no, by that the wasn't going right? to happen. So, again, God didn't magically take the pain away. And then I thought, okay, well, this is how crazy my mind works. Again, I'm just pouring it out now. Go ahead. Is For, then, I said, then I started praying like this, me-centered instead of God-centered prayer is, you know what, though? God, you give me the way. You show me exactly what I need to say, what I need to do. Then it becomes Steve's the hero, right? I'm gonna, we're going to go in there, and I'm going to inspire these guys, and we're going to do it. And we're going to beat the other team. And we didn't do that. <laughs> and so basically what it came down to, and I'm going to read out, what, this is literally what God put on my heart that night when I came off my knees. Son, I'm not going to make this all magically go away. I'm not going to show you a way out of the valley or show you a way around the valley. I've never promised that. What I've promised is that I'm going to be with you through the valley. What I've promised is that I said I'm going to be right beside you in the trial. What I've promised is I'm going to empower you, equip you, and hold on to you in the trial. That's what I've promised. And so this is the point, guys. This is the point is... When I got off my knees in prayer, I was so relieved. I felt like a thousand-pound weight had been lifted off my back because I had been focusing on the wrong thing. I had been fixed on the wrong thing. What God was saying to me is, Steve, I'm building a testimony in you. I've called you to bring thy kingdom come every day. That's who I've called you to be. You've got, you've got an opportunity to make an impact, and you're focused on the outcome. 
What I'm doing right now in and through you, in, what you're focusing on is the circumstance. You want me to eliminate the trial. What I'm telling you is I'm concerned about who you're going to be in and through the trial. What I want you to be concerned about is what I'm doing to you and what I'm doing in and through you. You've, when these guys, when everything happens and it hits the fan, I got 34 eyes, look right to me. Coach, what's next? What are we doing now? When I get home from that beating, I've got to walk into my home and represent and be a leader in my home. My wife is looking at me. When I walk into the office on Monday, I've got to have answers and I better be a leader because my staff's looking at me. So I've got an opportunity to have a testimony built in and through me to make that impact that I'm supposed to make. The second thing is this, and God laid this on my heart very hard, and I wrote this down again. You see, God reminded me that, son, I'm not con concerned with your comfort. I'm concerned with your conformity. I'm not concerned with your comfort. I'm concerned with your conformity in the trial, in the testing, in the difficulty, in the hardship. Those are my tools I'm using to shape and form you in the person I've called you to be. You talked about, you referenced eternal perspective. You said, Jesus is eternal. It's for real. So if I take my eyes off the here and now and think about the perspective of what God's doing eternally, he's using these things to chip away at me. I mean, chisel and hammer to nail away and to conform me into likeness of his beloved son. That's what I tell you guys. It's not about being a national champion. The ultimate goal is God's going to conform me into the likeness of his very son. That's what he's doing. And, and the very night before Pete called me, I was reading a devotional written by a guy by the name of Paul Tripp. And I just want to read it because I think it brings it all together. Is that okay? Uh, I guess, sir, you're bigger than me. Right. Uh, we're, we're in this, man. I just think this is, essentially what I'm saying is this, is I felt like God's grace was going to be to wipe the slate clean. And God's grace doesn't look like that a lot of times. God's grace a lot of times is a big smackdown, you know. And that's exactly what we need sometimes, right, guys? I tell you guys all the time is when we're in the pit is when we're ready to learn the most. Here's what, here's what, God, put on, what God showed me that night. God is working right now, but not so much to give us predictable, comfortable, or pleasurable lives. He isn't so much working to transform our circumstances as he's working hard through the tr circumstances to transform us. He's working through the circumstances. Perhaps in our hard moments when we are tempted to wonder where God's grace is, it is actually grace we're receiving. But not the grace in the form of a soft pillow or a cool drink. Rather, it's in those moments that we are being blessed with the heart and life-transforming grace of difficulty. Because God, the God who loves us, knows that's exactly the grace we need. And, and, he, and here's the thing, guys. I don't learn a whole lot when I'm on the mountaintop. I'm a pretty hard guy to be around when we're kicking tail. I am. It, it's amazing how, how bad my growth moments are when I'm, on top of, when I'm on top of the world. But when I'm in the pit is when I'm on most effective. Most effective at making an impact. Most effective at helping you guys. That's a fact. I'll leave you with this. It says, in grace, God leads you where you don't plan to go in order to produce in you what you couldn't achieve on your own. Thank you, Steve. God bless you, buddy. Thank you very much. I do want to say this, though. You beat Duke. As long as you beat the Blue Devils, God's victory is assured. At this time, as we close out, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. As you stand with me, could we take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence? As we close our eyes, I'm going to ask that we'd open our hearts. What I know is 
is, if it, is that for some of us, we're sitting here and literally in this moment, your emotions are up in your throat. Because you're facing stuff that feels as though it's killing you. It's taking the very life out of you. What I want you to clearly understand through this story is that God loves you. Christ loves you. He has not abandoned you. But he is calling you to go through it with him. And as you go through it with him, you're going to find that his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. But here's my question. Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to surrender in the midst of this thing? Or have you been trying to claw up out of the pit? Are you willing to surrender to Christ? To truly surrender this thing to Jesus? Are you ready to do that? For some of us this morning, it's time we surrendered our lives. You know that you've never really surrendered to Jesus. You know that. You've been coming to church for a period of time, but you've never really surrendered to him. I'm going to encourage you right now to surrender to your life to Jesus Christ, to fully surrender to him. For others of us, you've been in the midst of the battle You've been kicking against God. Will you surrender as we close out our time together? There are people that are part of the City Church prayer team and they're moving forward at this time. If you're in the midst of a season like this, I want to encourage you to do what Mary and Martha did. Will you run to Christ? Will you move towards him, stand with him, stand next to him, and allow him to speak into your heart and to your life? If you're here this morning and you know that you need that, I want to encourage you to humble yourself and to step out from where you're standing and to come forward. We have people that are here to pray with you and to pray for you. We're going to close out with an incredible worship song. But as we do so, I want to encourage you to come forward if you need prayer. Humble yourself. Confess your weakness by stepping out and saying, I can't do this anymore on my own. Step out and meet him, and I promise you Christ will meet you with his grace, with his peace. Let's worship together as we close out our time. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare you're our living hope Your presence I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free and my shame is under your presence, Lord. 
Come fly in this place Fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord We long for your presence, Lord There's nothing There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As we close out our time together, if you're comfortable doing so, can you just position your hands in a sign of surrender before God? God, we stand before you now as a group of people who recognize that you are the, with us in the midst of even difficult times. God, I pray throughout the City Church family that there would be the very real sense that you are with us in the midst of the storm and that your grace truly is sufficient for us. Lord, I pray over those of us that are still in the midst of wrestling with this. I pray before we put our heads down to rest that we would surrender to Christ. And in the midst of that, we would find that grace is sufficient for us. Lord, now as we conclude our time, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace. God bless you. You can exit quietly if you would like. Feel free to stay in worship. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday with a friend.
jealous for me Your love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions and eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are and oh how he loves us 